Good morning. My name is Kathy Connor, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Pres. And I get to remind us that worship is a celebration where God wants us to remember that life was meant to be lived with God right now. That means he invites us to come as we are, to relinquish control, and allow ourselves to receive the gift from him that he is seeking to give us this morning. It is our hope that you will go deeper in your relationship with Jesus, but also that you would discover what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. If you are new to us at First Pres, whether you are online or in here this morning, welcome. And we invite you to go to our website after worship, fill out the Connect card so that we might encourage you, pray for you, and help you get connected in. Also this morning, we want to invite all of you to share the service online on Facebook so that others can worship with us as well. In our effort to create a touchless, safe environment, we're asking that if you need to leave the sanctuary, if you would do so through the double center doors at the back of the room or through the door adjacent to the piano. Also after worship, if you would kindly remain in your pews until the usher comes to get you and guide you out. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, our hearts are so full of gratitude for this day. You're the one that invited us into this day. You're the one who promises <clears throat> that you make all things new, Father. We know that we need to be made new. We know that we are fully dependent on you even though we don't act like it. Oh, but we are. And we thank you because you are a good, good father who seeks to take care of us and nurture your love in us and then set us on our feet so that we might be you in the world. Lord, give us that opportunity this very day to enjoy you, but be contagious for you. Help us to fix our lives on you so that you might fix our lives. Oh, Father, there are people on our heart this morning who need healing, who need encouragement. Some who are lonely. Some, Father, are dealing with grief, unemployment, confusion in this pandemic, and more. In the silence of our hearts, we lift up to you those we know by name that we want to offer to you for your loving care and your help. Father, we also continue to pray for Carol Ross as she heals post brain surgery. It's steady, it's slow, but it's sure, and we thank you for that, Father. And Lord, you know what? You are so fun that we even get to thank you that the Bolts are in the Stanley Cup Finals. But encourage them after their loss, Lord. Keep them going. We love that you love to celebrate, and you give our city a gift like that to enjoy. It is indeed from you, just like everything else. 
So Lord, we know that this day is a glorious day because you made it, because you are full of promise for us in it. Help us to submit to you now, humble ourselves, seek your face, and listen to you. In Christ's name we pray with gratitude. Amen. Good morning, First Prez. Let's stand this morning. your story and this is my story so let's sing it out this morning I needed rescue my sin was heavy the chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter I was an orphan now you call me a citizen of heaven when I was broken you were my healing now you're
Good morning, First Pres. Folks who are with us online, folks here in the room this morning. It's just exciting to be back in the room together again. We understand that some folks don't feel comfortable. That's totally okay. You can be together with, and online as well as be together in the room. So, But I wanted to give you a quick update on FP 2.0. That's the way we've been talking about this this challenge that we've been going through about real estate and selling this building and moving to a new building. So the update is, real estate-wise, there really isn't much of an update. As you know, we agreed to buy a piece of property. We also agreed to sell this. And so the buyer of this property is probably going to take through the rest of this year, all the way to the end of December before they close. We have a simultaneous closing on the property we're going to take over. And so that's sort of the update. Inside the workings of, of all of that is a reminder that there is a design going on with the place over on Horatio. And if you have any interest in being a part of that, you let me know or let Kathy know, and we'll hook you up with Mary Jo Panino and the team that's involved in the design, design of it. So that process is continuing on. But otherwise, here's what we're continuing to do. We're continuing to pray. Every single day at 7.07 a.m. or 7.07 p.m. or both, and on the first Wednesdays of the month, we're also fasting. And here's what we've been doing. We've been praying and fasting, and man, have we as a family really rallied around that. Lots and lots of folks have done that. And what we've been saying is, God, lead us. But here's what I want to remind you. The building is certainly an important, part, an important part of what we're supposed to be doing in our community. But the building is a tool that God uses to help us be people that reach people. We reach people who are far from God and we go deep with people who are, who are closer to God. And that's, that's the goal. And so the prayer needs to include, God, how are you going to use us? How are you going to make us an impactful family of faith in this community? Again, reaching people that have no idea that they're loved by God and also for us going deep in our own lives. Those two things are intimately and integrally related to each other. In the song we just sang, we said, man, when I came out of that grave, and really, all of us sitting in the room and all of us online, if that's your experience, if you can say, yes, I've been rescued, then we are also a part of the rescue mission. So we want to continue to experience the presence of God, and we want to be people that reach people that don't know God's goodness, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's restoration. We want to be people that pray that we're a part of God impacting the city. So for our buildings, for our impact, for our own personal relationship with God, and everything all in between, let's keep praying about that. That that's my FP 2.0 update. Thank you. In 2 Chronicles 7, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will restore and heal their land. Friends, that's what our nation needs right now. And that's what we get to do this coming Saturday at 10 a.m. It's called Pray by the Bay. And all of us as members of First Press and the whole city are invited to come to Bayshore Boulevard on Saturday morning. Bring your family, bring your friends, bring your pets. There will not be some special gathering moment or place. You can go anywhere on Bayshore as an expression as an opportunity to simply just start praying. You can pray silently, you can pray out loud, but you can do it as we together seek God's face, humble ourselves, and it's a bold statement of faith that we know the only way we're going to heal as a nation is by God. It's the only way.
So I hope to see you there. I can't wait. Life groups. Life groups are small groups with a big impact. Because we know we can't know everybody, but we also know that everyone needs to be known. God created all of us to depend on each other and to be able to carry each other's burdens. And during this season, we know that people have been carrying burdens, haven't they? We also know that anxiety, fear, and constant change causes some of us to pull away from people, withdraw from people, which is why we need a life group, a place where we can connect and enjoy community. Some groups are going to meet on Zoom part of the time, all the time. Some of the groups are going to meet in person in a safe way. But all of them are an opportunity for us to put ourselves in an environment where we can be transformed by the love of God and each other. It's been a game changer in my own life. Even if you don't even think you want to be in a life group, would you do this for me? Would you go to the website after church and just look at them? Just look at them. Just one toe in. Take a look at them. Scroll all the way down. I'm just wondering if God isn't calling you perhaps to do this for the first time or to do it again like you used to maybe a long time ago, we'd love to have you. We would. This morning also, we want to make a bold statement about educators because educators are a gift from God. Some of you are online with us and some of you are here. You are hope dealers, whether you're a teacher, a coach, an administrator, a counselor. And so if you're in the room, I want to invite you, if you're an educator, stand and remain standing. Would you do that? If there are any, there we go. Yes, keep standing. And I know, as I said, we spoke with some of you online. We want to share something with you. It comes from the Apostle Paul. It's a commissioning word from him. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians and receive them from him. It says, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Stand firm. Don't let anything move you. And look what he says next. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. It is not in vain. And so we want to pray for you now as a way of saying, God, please protect them. So everyone else, just join me. And maybe look towards one of the people in the room. Your family can gather around you online. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out blessing on these brave and courageous educators stepping into the complexity, stepping into the difficulty of this moment, of this pandemic, loving children, loving teenagers, loving young adults. Lord, it's brave and it looks like you, Jesus, because these men and women are your hands and feet, creating in our children's lives a desire to learn and grow as you've created them to do. Oh God, protect them, encourage them, keep them safe, 
and nurture continued courage in them, Lord, as they labor sacrificially, knowing that their labor is indeed not in vain. In your name we pray, amen. We have a gift for each of you that we will personally deliver to those of you online. This morning I'm going to scoot around and make sure that each of you receive one as well. But what I love is you know what you're doing for us? You're modeling what God's generosity looks like. And so I want to invite all of us to look at five ways that we can also give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because when we do so, it is never in vain. It is always fruitful. God bless you. Please stand as we continue to worship this morning.
Good morning. Yee! I'm so excited to be in this room with you guys and with you online, and we're having a great time. We're studying and talking about and learning from and growing in the book of Mark. It's the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the way the New Testament begins, and we're going through the book of Mark all of nine, nine weeks in a row. Today is week two, and so that's what we're doing here, and we're calling it On Your Mark. And one of the reasons we're saying that, and the image here helps us to get to it, is Mark writes really sort of bang, 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 bang. And when you read, he's sort of running through a lot of kind of episodes and encounters, and he's going pretty quickly. Some of the other writers take a little more time, give you a few more details, but Mark is dashing, as it were, through this thing. A great way of telling the story about who Jesus is. And we've been kicking around some themes, and we're going to continue to soak on them for the whole nine weeks that we're together, we've decided there's a key verse that helps us understand the Gospel of Mark, and it's this, chapter 10, verse 45, and Jesus is speaking about himself. He says this, For even the Son of Man did not, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark chapter 10, verse 45. There's a lot going on in there in that verse as well as in the whole gospel. And so we've pulled a couple of themes that we think you need and we need to all kind of live into. What are the themes that we think are important in the gospel of Mark, in that verse and in the whole gospel? Well, they're this, the kingdom of God is a theme. And what we mean by that is somehow God's reign, God's rule, God's kingship 
is now a part of, the, of our reality in a way that it wasn't, and it's happened because of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's a, it's a pretty bold thing for Jesus to say that, which leads to the second thing, which is mighty Messiah. A Messiah is a person who's been sent specially anointed and who's going to repair everything that's broken, who's going to put all things back together again, who's going to restore all things, relationships, the universe, all things put right. That's what the Messiah is going to do and lead. And then our response we're calling daring discipleship. And what that means is we're going to be willing to risk, say yes, and begin to follow Jesus and just do what he tells us to do. Disciple just means follower of Jesus. That's all that word means. It's just a word. It's Latin. comes from Greek to Latin to English, and it just means follow Jesus. You follow him. He's going to do the heavy lifting. So, but it takes guts. It takes, it's, it's costly in the sense that, yeah, you got to be willing to say, okay, I'll go with you. So those are the themes that we're going to kick around, and, and we want to make sure that we get a chance to sort of understand them together. And so that's why we're taking nine full weeks to do this. I'm excited about it, and the team that's helping build it is excited about it. So one of the things, however, I wanted to make sure you understood this morning is that daring disciples care about people in our community, and we just want to point out one thing that people need to be aware of that we're doing and we're going to keep doing. We call it End 68. We're going to bridge the gap of hunger in the lives of children who otherwise might go from Friday noon to Monday morning. It's four hours short of 72 because they get a lunch at school on Friday and many of them aren't sure they're going to have food again until they get back to school for 8 o'clock Monday morning. And so we have a chapter and it's, the food is housed over at Hyde Park Presbyterian Church, and we've been distributing bags, but we think maybe the grocery folks are having a little trouble with paper bags, so we're going to ask you to take one of the small pieces of paper which describes what kids need and what sizes to buy so they can actually carry it, and it's in the back and all over the place, yellow pieces of paper that say, take this, and you put it in your own bag and bring it back, and we'll get it to the food warehouse, and it will get distributed, 330, 350 kids, something like that. It's sort of breaks my heart to know that kids are leaving school on Friday afternoon and then they don't have anything to eat for sure until Monday morning. Let's bridge the gap. Be daring. Take the risk to put yourself into a little kid's shoes, a hungry kid's shoes, and let's, let's do this and continue doing it as we have been together. So anyway, back to the Gospel of Mark. You may have noticed that I'm wearing a Tom Brady shirt. Did anybody notice that? Yes, and notice Brady, 12, the goat, the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. If you're not a sports fan and I say goat, maybe that's totally lost on you, but I'm going to let you understand what it means. The greatest of all time. Many people would say that Brady, who I don't know if you know this, he works for us now. And you're, I, know, I know another thing that's crossing your mind. Is that Fitz or is that Tom Brady up there? And you're wondering, you're wondering why shouldn't you be at Ray J getting ready for the 1 o'clock game? But no, it, it's I. It's not Tom. But anyhow greatest of all time and people would say that he's the greatest of all time all kinds of stats you don't need to know them but here's the one that matters the most he's been to the Super Bowl nine times nine one six of them two people are sniffing in second place Terry Bradshaw won four Joe Montana won four no one else has come close nine times six wins the reason he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time, is because of that. 
Now, he's not the most quarterback and the most touchdown passes, but close. All those kinds of stats, how many completions, how many yards, how many touchdown passes, he's in first or second or third place on almost all those stats. But here's a stat nobody can touch him on. Playoff games played. Playoff games won. Super Bowls played. Super Bowls won. He's the GOAT. It's just that simple. You can make the case maybe for others. And, but Here's, and if you, if you don't believe that people are interested in him, just look at the Bucks' schedule this year. Go look at the schedule and look at the times of the games. You and I have gotten used to nobody cares it's 1 o'clock every Sunday. Oh, no, not this season. I put them in my calendar. It's 8.20 on a Sunday night. It's 8.30 on a Monday night. It's all over the place, prime time. Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, prime time. But he didn't start that way really a pretty modest college career. He did not play only a few snaps his first and second seasons, but his junior and senior years, he was the starter, University of Michigan. And this is how great he was thought of by them. He was honorable, honorable mention quarterback in the Big Ten. You with me? Just honorable mention and only in that league. It's a good league. But he wasn't even at the top of that league. He got drafted in the sixth round, sixth round, 199th, the greatest steal in the history of the NFL as far as the draft is concerned. He started a good athlete, obviously, a college football player, obviously, but he went from relatively moderate performance levels with some acclaim to the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. And we're going to talk about a GOAT in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to use Brady to help us understand what it's like to come from virtually nowhere to the top of the game. His name is Levi. And Levi is going to become a goat. But we're going to learn about him first. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through this passage in Mark chapter 2. I hope you read it, getting ready for today already. We, we asked you last week to read it, and so I hope you did. And I'm going to help you understand a little bit more. I'm going to read through just these five verses and then go back and talk about them a, a couple of slides at a time. So let's hear it. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. In it, we're going to see maybe one of the early versions of a goat. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So let's go back up and let's take a peek at the first set of pieces of information. Jesus is out by the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee, and he's on the northern part of it. And what's important is to realize that it's, there's a trade route there, which is by land, which is roads, but also a port for boats. So 
people are, t- are t- shipping goods back and forth. It's right on the edge of two different regions, so you're crossing into a new region there. And Levi's job, this tax collector, was to collect tariffs, customs. And his job was then to pay Herod, a bad guy, but who was sort of helping Rome run the area, pay Herod the share, but then he would charge extra on top of it. So Levi was also a Jew. These are all Jewish people, these traders traveling by road or by sea, and Levi is simply ripping off his own people. He's corrupt. He's ostracized. He's disgustingly, uh, he's a disgusting human being. He's at the bottom of the heap of people you, anybody would want to be around. He's corrupt, is Levi. Jesus is there where he was, hanging out by this lake in somewhere near maybe where Levi's tax booth was, and a crowd is with him. That's always the case. Some, for some reason, Jesus seemed to attract people to him. He walks along, and he sees this Levi guy sitting in his booth. Follow me, he says. Now, I want you to understand, Levi is scum. That's what everybody said about him. But Jesus says, follow me. And astonishingly, Levi leaves his table, his booth, his office, and he starts following Jesus. Levi leaves the booth and begins to follow Jesus. A couple of things that we want to know about Levi. The first thing that any kid, any boy would do, if they could, to to live life as an adult, go to rabbi school. Levi didn't even bother applying. He could not come close to hitting the benchmarks of what it takes to get an application into rabbi school. You wonder, well, he didn't do that. That's sort of the top of the heap for a young Jewish man. Second thing would be to stay at work in the family business. And we're scratching our heads going, well, why was he not working with his parents, his family? In the could have been agricultural. It could have been crafts. It's the way everybody earned a living, unless you were a rabbi or a religious leader. You worked with your hands doing something. Why wasn't he in the family business? And conjecture, maybe there was some substantial estrangement in Levi's family between him and the rest of the family. Who knows? He's a tax collector, which means he had no other marketable skill. Because, see, the last thing you would do would go to be a tax collector. It's below everything else. You'd rather collect trash. But there he is. And they were hated and loathed, and they became despicable people because they're, they're hated and loathed, and no one will be around them. However, you got some cash. you got some flow. So you live in a nice house, but you've got no friends, and you've got no life. So that's the condition that we find this man Levi in. And just to say, just to, just to bury him a little deeper, but then also to offer that you and I might be able to relate to him. Levi is suffering from the default posture that human beings have, just it seems to come natural to us. Our default posture towards God and towards life seems to be self-focused. Now, we have a fancy word in, in theology. We call it sin. And most people think when I say that word sin, I'm going to start telling people what they did wrong. No, 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 no. And, hey, I'm not in charge of it anyway. But that's not, sin is primarily defaulting to self What's life about? It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I think. It's about what I decide. It's about me. And a lot of times, you don't do anything wrong when you're doing that. But guess what? It's not about us. It's about the Almighty, the God of the universe, who Levi is encountering in Jesus. 
the mighty Messiah, the one who makes the kingdom present. So Levi, who has defaulted to self, is now having this face-to-face encounter with Jesus. A couple of things I want you to think about. These are things you could even write down. The Lutheran church was founded by a guy named, the denomination by a guy named Martin Luther. And he said this, he defined this human default condition. He defined it, sin, he defined sin as humans turned in upon themselves. That's really good. I just learned this, that Luther said it just in the last week or so. You can write that one down. Humans turned in upon themselves. It's worth soaking to make sure we make t- tell the truth about ourselves. Uh, and here's the consequence of it. Here's the consequence of human beings turned in on themselves. A life devoted to myself, a life devoted to myself, ultimately leaves me alone. That's also tweetable. A life devoted to myself ultimately leaves me alone. And is Levi not exhibit A? Yes, this guy. Be careful. Don't, don't look down your nose. We're tempted. I'm tempted to judge him. Oh, apparently Jesus loved him. So that's our move. Spoiler alert. This is chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. We're reading them out. Levi, guess what happens in chapter 3? Verse 18, Levi gets a new name, Matthew. He becomes a new goat, Matthew, the guy that wrote Matthew. Do you remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? You remember Matthew, one of the 12 that we know by name? That Matthew, this guy, something happens. Jesus says, follow me. Matthew leaves this tax collector, this, this business of corruption, and somehow he gets changed into a person whose name we all know from 2,000 years ago. He's on the top 12 list. He's on the senior leadership team. Now, again, these are snapshots dancing through the life of Matthew. And we don't get all the details, but he's a different person. He started at the bottom, and he becomes a senior leader in the Christian movement. He was loved deeply and carefully and precisely by Jesus and made over into a new person. Matthew learned how to every day reject the impulse to make life about me. He rejected, as we all do if we understand it, the impulse to turn my life in on myself. And he learned to be open to and subject to Jesus. And the next thing you know, Jesus makes him into a new person. This is awesome. That's what happens to us when we start following Jesus. That's what happens to us. We get made over into new people. Now, we don't have the pressure of trying to be a goat. Don't think you're supposed to be a goat. You're not. I'm not. And we're not. We're not goats. We're not the greatest of all time. But what we are is people that follow Jesus, and then he goes to work on us, and he makes us into new people. There are no, look, listen carefully, there are no prerequisites no benchmarks that you have to hit first. No standards. No pretest. You just show up. You hear him. He says, will you follow me? You go, okay. And you start. And yes, there's going to be some change in your life, but it's not about guilt. It's not about judgment. It's not about condemnation. It's about following Jesus. He'll fix the stuff that needs fixing. He will. He does. There's just a room full of living examples right now. 
Is that the greatest thing you ever heard of in your life? You can't earn your way into Jesus' love. He just loves you. And we say it this way around here. Come as you are. And guess what? We mean it. Not because I mean it, because Jesus means it. Jesus is the one that taught Kathy and me in First Pres how to say come as you are. It's not my idea. It's his idea. And we say here at First Pres, we say it's okay not to be okay. No kidding. Look at this guy. He's a wreck of a human being. But man, is there a restoration project that has gone underway and has worked in the life of Levi. Let's go on into dinner. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Okay, they go to dinner at Levi's house. Now, you got to understand that dinner at Levi's house is a violation of every possible religious rule you could ever imagine. It's not just a dinner. You can't see it in English, but the Greek verb about the meal is suggesting this is just not catching something at the kitchen counter. This is a big, fancy banquet. It's a big meal. It's a big deal. And they get out the big, the big meal furniture, and they get out the big meal utensils and the big meal f- food, and they're having a big deal meal at, Jesus, at Levi's house. And you sort of get the sense that something's changed. Why would Jesus go in there in the first place? Remember, he was an outcast, ostracized, corrupt human being, and also proper people didn't hang around with him. And Jesus going in to be with him was a violation of all the rules of these these people looking down at Jesus and his disciples and questioning what they're doing. Jesus is on purpose picking a fight with these hollow rules. And why is he picking the fight? He's fighting for a relationship with Levi and these other sinners. Fighting for a relationship with them. He's doing all the things you do to invite people into his presence. And he refused to let these exterior human rules block him. But the rules blocked a lot of people. The rules kept a lot of people away from really genuinely encountering Jesus. The guys are fussing. Why do you let these kind of scum come into your house? Why do you have food with them? That's what they're saying later. So Jesus having dinner at Levi's house, and there were a bunch of people there. And here's what I think that is. It's a big party, and notice that the guest list is just totally wrong. Who who made this list? These are all the blatantly wrong people. Sinners. Sinners are people who know none of the rules. Maybe they're too busy. Maybe they just are too ignorant. Maybe they're too poor. They don't know the rules, so they're kicked out of the religious world also. Tax collectors for sure but all other people who just don't have it all down right, they're out. And Jesus apparently seems to attract these kind of people. I hope you're starting to feel welcome in Jesus' presence right now. I do. I'll use the term affectionately knuckleheads. Jesus loves knuckleheads. I, most, I know miss, most of you men, most of you are knuckleheads. And if you don't know it yet, you are. <laughs> and that's who he loves. Prerequisites are gone. Jesus seeks us out. He was with us this morning at the first service. He's not here now. The man who leads our ministry with teenagers, he's upstairs with middle school kids right now, Bryce Lynn. Tuesday morning when our staff team was meeting, talking about all this, we finished and we were praying together, and Bryce said this prayer. He said, God, thank you 
that they didn't quit before they got to me. He, he, what he meant was Jesus' people kept inviting him into a meaningful relationship. And in that relationship was the invitation to examine Jesus. And they didn't quit before they got to me, says Bryce. And so that's what we do, Jesus followers. We go and we love people really well. Why? Because that's how we've been loved. We're not making up a new method. It's Jesus' method to love people well. And we, our job is to love people well, and we're really Jesus in person doing it when we do it, and then he gets them going. You don't do that. You don't have to make somebody different. I don't have to do that. It's what Jesus says. Well, look at Levi. Man. So they have this dinner party, and all these people are crammed in there, and look what happens. The next episode happens. The teachers of the law who were Pharisees. Now, these are the people who are the ones that know all the rules and live by the rules and watch you and tell you that you just broke the rule and then tell you not only did you break the rule, you can't even come in our building. See, that was a part of what's going on here. You aren't allowed to go in the building to worship if you've been at Levi's house, especially Jesus. You follow what I'm saying? If you went inside that man's home, he's a, he's a dirty person. You can't come, and they literally stand at the door. You can't come in. And this, his house is packed with people that wouldn't be allowed in the church. So the teacher of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, and they asked Jesus' disciples, just whoever it was around there who looked like they had been around Jesus for a while, why does he eat with scum? In other words, he breaks all the rules. This is wrong at every level. And Jesus responds, Almost laughingly, he, Jesus is in effect saying with his response, are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. You people are ridiculous. It's ridiculous to imagine that a doctor would refuse to see his patients. I'm pointing at a surgeon. That's stupid. Jesus is quoting a proverb here. Notice what it says. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I'm here to help sinners. People who are sinners seem to respond to Jesus. And you know what I want you to want? I want you to want to be the kind of person in your family, in your individual relationships. I want to be the kind of person that makes people feel safe so they can be who they are. And I'm going to love them because people are going to mask who they are. Mask who they are. There's a pun there. Huh? You catch it? Here's how people mask who they are in front of God and in front of each other. They put on the mask, say, oh, I'm happy all the time. Of course, no one is. No one's happy all the time. That's a mask, a defense mechanism. They say, well, I'm better than most. And what that means is, well, I'm, I know I got problems, but I'm looking over here at these people down my nose at them. I'm better than they are. That's a one, another way that people block intimacy and closeness with God. I have it all together already anyway. Huh. Who does? Nobody. I'm a victim. It's not my fault. It's a terrible way to protect your heart. To there are real victims in the world. Oh, yes. But many of us play the victim game to avoid releasing into the openness of being present with other people and with Jesus. Here's one. I don't care. That's just a wall around your heart to say you don't care. 
We've, we've been called, made by God, wired to care. And if we say we don't care, something's wrong. It's a mask. It doesn't work. Here's a great one. Self and a, self-sufficient. We already described that. A life turned in on itself ends up as a life lived alone. Doesn't work. I'm so important. So we may build a wall around ourselves, a mask of who we really are by standing on our role, our prestige, our position, our importance, how many people report to us, not unlike it, an expert. I don't really need to be open with God or anybody else because I, I know what I'm doing and I'm really good at it. I'm, in fact, I'm the best at it. Independent. Here's one a little more personal for me because I, I, not knowing it, when my mom and dad got divorced, I became independent. And it was just a way to protect myself. And it worked for a while. But then it, got, it gets in the way. It gets in the way of having real depth of relationship with God or with Kathy or with anybody, with friends. But this is a defense thing that happened to me when I was a kid. And I discovered it when I became a young adult. And then I tried to undo it. And I'm, I'm doing okay with that. I'm doing all right. It doesn't hurt. Maybe one of the masks that most of us wear a lot. It hurts. It really does hurt. Levi was desperate for real friendship, for real depth with God and with other people. It hurt a lot. But when we play the it doesn't hurt mask when we wear it, then we're just keeping ourselves from being able to experience the abundance that Levi, in fact, was able to experience. Friends, this is what we want to do. We want to be people who dare, like Jesus, to fight for relationships. You want to fight for your relationship with God. And if it means help getting rid of this, then do it. It's risky. This is not a risk-free environment, this daring discipleship thing. It means I'm willing to tell the truth to God about who I am and let God make me over into a new person. I'm willing to maybe be like Levi and become a person who God actually uses in some really terrific ways in my life, where I live, where I work, in my business, in my family, where I go to school. God could use me couple of three tools that God is asking you and me to employ. It's sort of the opposite of masks. Three words. You get, they're easy to remember. Authenticity, vulnerability, transparency. Those are three great words. And in the kingdom of God, relationships are the currency. And those three words sort of help us understand how we know we have quality with God and with ourselves and with each other authenticity, vulnerability, transparency. That's how we relate to each other. I have a question for you. Who doesn't need that? Who doesn't need places to go where we can be that? You need it. I need it. And guess what? They need it. And if you have an environment like a group where you have that kind of relationships going on, there are people standing right outside the door. They want in. They may not know it, but they want in. And guess what else? Even more importantly, they need in. Because it's in that kind of a safe environment that we discover a relationship with Jesus Christ and deepen in it. It's where we learn how to grow through the things that we have that are hang-ups and trouble for our lives. Like me and saying, I don't care. Oh, I do care. Me saying it didn't hurt. Oh, it hurt a lot. Me saying I'm independent. No, I'm not. I'm deeply dependent on you. Interdependent. 
So I have two homework assignments for you. I want you to put these in the, in the umbrella of being a relationship specialist. Using those tools, vulnerability, authenticity, transparency, those are tools to help you become really great at relationships in every sphere of your life with people who don't know God loves them and with people who deeply understand God's love and everyone in between. A couple of assignments. The first assignment is this. It's it's to keep reading Mark. You have a new assignment. It's up on the wall here. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 6, verse 6. It may sound like a lot. It's not. I'm repeating myself. If you were with me a week ago, it's not a lot. In fact, because I needed to be able to say this with integrity, I sat down and read it. And I was getting distracted by ads that were coming up on the computer because I was reading uh, Bible Gateway or something like that. Five minutes and 20 seconds. That's how long it took me to read the whole thing. You could say, well, fits, but you're familiar with material, so you can read more quickly than I can. Well, whatever. Double it. <laughs> 10 minutes. You got 10 minutes. In fact, you got 10 minutes a day. It would be awesome if you just sprint through it. Bang, bang, bang. And you'll feel cool. You go, wait a minute, I'm beginning to, fam- to get familiar with this. And then some questions that you want to understand will come up. And some other, you'll be struck. You'll be struck at how Jesus treats people. So I'm challenging you to read it. And maybe it would help you if you had a pen pal, somebody you read it with, like your spouse or a relative or somebody who's in, if you're in a life group, a member of the life group, just somebody. And you kind of keep track of each other. And you keep each other on pace. That's one challenge. The second challenge is repeating ourselves again, and it's about life groups. So up comes a picture of life group, and we're sloganing that by saying this, life groups, small groups, big impacts. So many people have experienced a lot of the mask-reducing transformation that Levi obviously experienced, and you and I have experienced, when we have groups of people who meet together on purpose to do life together care for each other when we're in trouble when something's happening in our family when we're having a blast to just go have a blast and have a party whatever just everything about human life and in it soaking it with some the deeper understanding of what the christian faith is about we we take the bible passages and we help them help us understand it's what we we're brothers and sisters hanging out but on purpose and our lives are impacted in a big way. I would like to suggest to you that Levi became a part of a life group of the first followers of Jesus. And we know for a fact that they hung out together for three or four years in the first group, the first iteration. And his life was never the same. That's what I want you to do. I want you to be relationship specialists with me on behalf of God because we're going to get love. We're going to love people the way we've been loved, and that's going to make a huge difference in our lives for our city, for our world, for our work, for our job, for our school, for our family. Take the challenge. Become a relationship specialist. Begin dropping the masks that you might be wearing that are keeping you from telling God the truth about who you are. Let some other people in on it. And then make a huge difference in the world. God will change you into an impact leader. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that we can be in this room and we can sing and celebrate. And we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you want to make a difference through us. And you fought for the relationship with us. And you want us to be relationship specialists. And we fight the right fight. We fight to be people that love people well. Help us to 
be brave and courageous. Take the daring risk of discipleship to drop the prerequisites we think we may have, to quit hiding behind defense mechanisms and be people with each other in a way that makes a huge impact on our life. Thank you for the people like in Bryce's life who didn't quit before they got to me. There's somebody who fought to get to each one of us in this room, gracious God. Let us be people who who then go and do the same thing for someone else. For all of this, for our music, for our prayers, for these words, for Mark, for Levi, for all of this, we're grateful. We gather and we celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen. You call.